Welcome to 84 Ounces to Freedom. I am your host, Mr. Cole, and this is episode 17. Uh, I have taken some steps to try to increase uh, the sound quality, uh, thanks to recommendation from Dom. Uh, you can hear his podcast. He's got Ghost Song Radio, Postmortem Horror Movie Show podcast, as well as uh, he makes appearances and helps uh, JD Horror with um, True Crime Horror Story. So check all those out. Thanks for the recommendation, Dom. Uh, hopefully this little sound trap thing, foam fucker, whatever it is, will uh, help eliminate some of the echo in this room, which, you know, from my years of being a musician and owning a recording studio, I should fucking know, but whatever. Anyways, thanks. We'll see if it makes a difference. If you guys listened to the last episode, uh, then you know about uh, Flaver. For those of you that didn't, with a Flaver membership, every three months you get a full-size bottle of your choice and a themed sample pack. I tend to stick with the whiskeys and bourbons, but of course they do all kinds of tequilas and gins and vodkas, pretty much anything you can think of. Uh, for my second delivery, I chose a bottle of Pinhook Bohemian Bourbon and a three-vial sample pack called the Bourbon Trinity. And I learned that on the website there is a video for these sample boxes where you can learn how to properly taste and experience these vials of goodness. And uh, by watching a professional taste, you can learn a lot about these great bourbons. They give a lot of information about it so it's very much a learning process i learned i'm drinking whiskey and tasting it all wrong but you know what i'm still gonna put ice cubes i don't care um but it's kind of cool how they discovered like flavors through smell and taste and everything and uh, it's almost you know it's like wine actually where you see the wine snobs well there's whiskey snobs too uh, also, I learned that I'm saying Flaver wrong, but I can't remember how the dude was saying it. So I'm going to continue to mispronounce it. Uh, the first sample has probably the coolest name you could ever have for a whiskey. It's good old chicken cock. And it is a straight Kentucky straight bourbon. And apparently this was a household name before Prohibition. And uh, it got sold to... to uh, Canadian company that made a subservient product and was later bought back in the dude and, and it's been brought back to its glory. I forgot that guy's name. I should have done better research, but it does smell like a great bourbon. And yes, that's me pouring it on some ice because that's what I do. It's really good. I like it. Good old, the taste of chicken cock in my mouth. Um, I would probably buy this, no problem. Just, uh, not just for the name, it's it's actually really good. I'm not good at saying, I taste vanilla and hits of coriander with an oaky, no. You guys, it's, it's fucking good. And if you wanna get into the flavor profiles, uh, Flavair provides you with that. So having said that, this is a guinea pig episode. Um, <clears throat> if you're a hardcore horror fan, you probably already know where I'm going with this. Um, but to kick off my little guinea pig 
episode, there is breaking news. At 5 a.m. this morning in Logan, Utah, police found a guinea pig in one of those green balls rolling down the street. It has been taken to New Vision Intake and Shelter, and it can be picked up by its owner at 1180 West North in Logan, Utah. Make sure when you go to work that you don't let the guinea pig out. Uh, speaking of guinea pigs, this week I wanted to talk to you about two films that are too extreme for the mainstream. The first comes from Japan in 1985, and it was directed by Haidishi Hino. This is the second movie in a series of six movies, entitled Guinea Pig 2, Flower of Flesh and Blood. Of course, I heard about these movies on post-mortem horror show podcasts. Uh, you know, I'm a huge horror fan, and I've never heard about these movies until the last year. I don't know how I missed it. These films are hard to find, unless you want to pay like $500 on eBay. But this particular one I was able to get on the Amazon Prime. This is a very controversial film, and Charlie Sheen even believed that it was a real smut film and contacted authorities. Uh, so it is convincing. Uh, the warning at the beginning of the film says showing this film to children under 15 should be a hybrid, prohibited. Then there is scrolling text and subtitles that come very fast. I had to pause it to be able to read all the subtitles. Uh, but they talk about a cartoonist, Haidishi Hino, the, also the director, who received an 8mm film and pictures of dismemberment. He was instructed to keep it as a semi-documentary based on the secret 8mm film. Keep that secret film in the back of your mind. It will come up in discussion on the next film. Yes, that's right. I'm going to talk about two too extreme for the mainstream horror movies, which is not something you expect on this podcast. It hasn't been done before. But, uh, you know, last episode we talked about a director that did several movies, uh, Lucifer Valentine, and this time we're talking about two separate directors, but they're related in a way that is uh, very cool, as you'll come to see. In this film, a woman is abducted and wakes up tied to a bed. The walls are covered in blood splatter and there's a slow dripping noise. Then she notices this goofy dude in a samurai helmet. He cuts off the head of a chicken and tells her, this is your fate. Uh, you know, I don't appreciate the animal cruelty. It looked pretty real, but I'm pretty sure it was just a well-executed practical effect when, like, he's cutting the chicken's neck and blood's pouring out. The chicken is just, like, looking around like everything's fine. It's not freaking out or anything or trying to escape. And then, like, <clears throat> the headless body falling to the ground doesn't move or anything. It's so, I mean, it's pretty clear that a chicken wasn't killed here, um... But there are behind-the-scenes making of this movie that I should probably watch to know that, and uh, I haven't. But I will, because I own the DVD, and that's the only way to do it. Uh, he then injects her with some kind of drug. The spooky dude explains to the camera that the drug makes her feel ecstasy when she endures pain. Then he begins to torture and mutilate her. Uh, before each administration of brutality, he says a short kind of poem. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's a haiku, maybe, or if it's just sentences. Then he turns on, like, a different colored light to highlight the aspect of what he's doing. Um, the gore is extreme and practical. 
I don't know if there even was CG in 1985, or if there was, it was limited. I guess there was. This is a real hard film to watch, and it's not just him chopping her up. He really has to work for it, and it's very disturbing. Uh, you know, this is torture porn, even though there's no nudity or sex. But I do like the sound effects, because they're, they're real cheesy, and they're way overdone, like an old karate movie. This takes some of the seriousness out of it, and uh, Charlie Sheen should have picked up on that. This is a fucked up movie, but a must-see for the true hardcore horror fan. So if you haven't watched it, check it out. <clears throat> okay, moving on to the second vial from Flavere. Um... When you have a full of air membership, uh, you have exclusive access to rare and private bottlings. There are distillers out there that are producing bottles that are only available with a full of air membership. And this vial B is George Remus Berman, bourbon, sorry. It's a straight bourbon whiskey. Uh, George Remus was the king of the bootleggers during prohibition. He was a lawyer and studied the laws until he found a medicinal loophole. So yes, there was, much like medicinal marijuana back in the day, there was medicinal alcohol. And uh, when he learned this loophole, he exploited it to his great advantage. The smell of this whiskey seems milder than uh, good old chicken hawk. Ch fuck, chicken cock. And it is, but damn, that, that's really good too. Uh, you want something a little milder, not quite as spicy as uh, chicken cock? George Riemann, this is, this is a nice, that's a, this is a nice whiskey. Um, you can sip this. Um, so the next film I wanna talk about um, is a 2014 film written and directed by Stephen Byron owner of Unearthed Films. This is also a movie in a series of movies, American Guinea Pig, Bouquet of Guts and Gore. Uh, according to Stephen Byro in his interview on the Postmortem sh Show Horror Movie Podcast, episode number 65, if you want to listen to it specifically, this is a secret film discussed in the beginning of Guinea Pig 2, flower of flesh and blood so this movie is like you know everything's bigger you know this is a bouquet of guts and gore versus a flower of flesh and blood so you know in every way Stephen Byro kind of kicks this up but I'll explain the film begins in a similar way but uh two women are abducted and uh there's three masked men in a room with them. And I'm pretty sure I do see a fourth guy that's not wearing a mask, but you don't ever really see his face the way it's shot. And besides, there's some times when all three men are in a shot, so who's filming? So I think there's really four. Um, but basically, there's a producer with a weird fixation of always starting on the left, never the right. A Smeagol-like... A Smeagol-like cameraman that crouches around and is kind of whiny 
He's not really feeling it. And then, of course, a butcher. This looks like what you would expect a smut film to look like. It's grainy. And the outside of the film is always fucked up and wavy. And you can hear the camera running sometimes. They constantly run out of film. Um, after they slowly remove all their clothes except the undergarments, uh, the women are given an injection and drops are given to them orally. It is explained by the butcher that they have been given a drug that will immobilize them and uh, 1,500 micrograms of LSD. Um, I think that's a lot. Uh, the dismemberment, torture, and mutilation is slow and deliberate, um, much like uh, the first mentioned film. Uh, this film is only 77 minutes, but it feels like it's over two hours. Uh, the first woman, they use tourniquets as the limbs are removed to keep her alive. Like the Japanese guinea pig movie, he struggles at sawing through bone and has to switch tools and cutting locations even sometimes. It's very gruesome. I found myself turning away from this film again and again. Uh, this movie also has one of the most horrifying practical effects I've ever seen. I can, I can barely watch it. And uh, <clears throat> I watched this film again for research matters to do this episode. And man, it's... It's fucked and very graphic. After the first woman is killed, you think you've seen every type of form of mutilation a person could endure. And uh, there's still a second woman. And you find out it can get worse. The second woman, it's horrible. It really disturbed me. And, you know, all you can do in this is applaud Stephen Byro for just doing masterful practical effects in a way that you've never, you trust me, you've never seen this before. And, and again, how did I miss this movie? I should have known about this. And uh, thanks to Postmortem Show, of course, now I do. Um, but going back in his interview on uh, Postmortem, Stephen Byro says straight up, this is torture porn. There is a little nudity in this movie, but also there is no sex. And as far as extreme horror films go, it would be uh, pretty difficult to beat this one. I think this is about as extreme as it gets. But there are more guinea pig films. Um, and American and Japanese guinea pig films. At this time, I believe there's four American guinea pig films. And uh, I see on Facebook that they mentioned that they're uh, working on a new film. So that'll be great. Oh, and there is... <laughs> the end of this film is a total gut punch. And you're just like... You're like saying, no, 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 don't let it happen. And, and the film kindly ends. But you guys got to check this out. Um, there's nothing as extreme as this. Okay, since this is a guinea pig episode, I have to talk about the otaku murderer. Generally, I talk about medical serial killers only, uh, but this time I'm going to talk about a serial killer from Japan. <clears throat> Even though my first name isn't Mike, um, and I'm not qualified to do true crime serial killer podcasts, 
there's one thing about my rules that I keep consistent. I tend to break them. Uh, the otoku... <laughs> so it was tough for me to really understand this, and I, and I still don't think I completely do, but otoku is a Japanese term referring to someone who collects magna, anime, and maybe slasher horror films. Um, but before I go any further, I think I forgot to mention this third bottle of Flaver. Um, this third vial, vial C, is Old Elk Bourbon, and it's a blend of grains, corn, malted barley, and rye. And um, see how it is here. Uh, this one is supposed to be totally different from the other two, according to the video I watched. That is totally different. It's got a lot more power up front. It's like the last one was very mild and drinkable. This one is kind of spicy. I like it, though. I think I think Vial 2 was my favorite, to be honest, though. Um... But going back to the film, <clears throat> I'm sorry. <laughs> we talk films. We're talking serial killer. So I had to figure out what this otaku term was. And it, and it has something to do with magna and anime and maybe or maybe not slasher and horror films. It's confusing. Um, I say maybe because reading the definition, like I said, was very confusing. I think that it was a negative time especially after this killer got the nickname, kind of like our Satanic Panic for uh, anime and magna. And uh, it was considered to be like a negative term. Um, but now it's like a positive term because all kids have magna and anime stuff. It's kind of what I got from reading about it. Um, kind of confusing. So, but this dude... Miyazaki Tosumo, Tosomu, Tosomu, Miyazaki Somu, that's pronounced perfectly, I'm sure of it, uh, got that name, <clears throat> the otaku killer, when he was captured because he had over 5,000 videos of anime, magna, and horror films. Uh, most of them were horror films and pornography. Mixed in with these films were pictures and videos of his victims. Supposedly, Guinea Pig 2, Flower of Flesh and Blood, was in his collections. And he did dismember and keep trophies of his victims, like the goofy fuck in that movie. Miyazaki was born with fucked up wrists and didn't have a lot of friends growing up. Like, he couldn't bend them backwards or something. They only stayed straight, so... You know, kids are mean, uh, and his mother and father weren't really emotional types. They were focused on business, and his sisters were totally indifferent to him. His grandfather was cool, but when Grandpa passed away, Miyazaki was very depressed and suicidal. Uh, there was a time when one of his sisters busted at him trying to look at her while she was taking a shower. Uh, when she confronted him, he attacked her physically. And he even tacked his mother as well. None of his upbringing really 
explains why he did this. You know, I don't see any of the common things that make most serials, serial killers, uh, what they are. I think this guy was just a fucking creep. Um, here's a warning for you. This man was a rapist and murderer of children. Um, so from this point on, I'm going to be describing his crimes. If this is a trigger for you or something, you have a problem hearing, you know, probably stop this podcast or fast forward at 20 or 30 minutes. Um, this is extremely disturbing material, more disturbing than the two movies I talked about because this happened. And, uh, it's probably the most horrible thing you'll ever hear. So you can stop now. If you continue, you were warned. <clears throat> A four-year-old girl, Mary Kono, disappeared from her friend's house on August 22nd, 1988, one day after Miyazaki's 26th birthday. He lured her to his car and parked under a bridge. He killed her and had sex with her dead body. He left her in the hills by his house, but kept her clothes. After a few days, he returned to her corpse and cut off her hands and feet, which he took home. He sent her ashes, some of her teeth, and a picture of her clothes with a postcard to her parents. The postcard said, Mari, cremated. Bones. Investigate. Prove. Her hands and feet were found in his closet when he was arrested. Miyazaki offered a seven-year-old Masimi Yashizawa a ride on October 3, 1988. He killed her under the same bridge and had sex with her corpse. He kept her clothes. Erika Namba was forced into Miyazaki's car on December 12, 1988. She was on her way home from her friend's house. She was only four years old. He drove to a parking lot where he forced her to undress. He took pictures of her, then killed her. He left her body in a nearby parking lot and got rid of her clothes in a wooded area. On June 6, 1989, Miyazaki talked a five-year-old Ayoko Nomado into letting him take pictures of her. He killed her in his car and took her to his house. He spent two days having sex with her corpse. He took pictures and filmed his depraved acts. He dismembered her body and got rid of the torso and head. He kept her hands and drank blood from them. He also ate the flesh off of them. He got paranoid and brought back the head and torso. He put them in his closet. On July 3rd, I'm sorry, on July 23rd, 1989, Miyazaki was most likely working on capturing his fifth victim. He was at a park and separated two sisters. He convinced the younger one to undress and was taking pictures of her when dad fucking showed up. He attacked Miyazaki, but the serial killer was able to get away. Like a dumbass, he came back to get his car later, and that's when the police arrested him. His trial began in March 1990. Miyazaki was tried. Miyazaki tried to act crazy and said that the rat man told him to do it. 
His father disowned him and committed suicide in 1994 out of shame. The trial lasted for seven years. He was sentenced to death on April 14, 1997, and on June 17, 2008, he was hanged. This was considered to be swift justice, you know. Um, he was sentenced in 97 and hung in 2008, and <clears throat> that's considered fast in Japan. Um, just a horrible, despicable dude. Uh, I do have a book recommendation for you guys. Recently, I finished a book. Um, I don't know if J.D. Horror recommended this specific book, but he did recommend this author. And um, if you want extreme horror and authors you haven't heard of before, I mean, you, you, if you're like me, you're caught up with Stephen King waiting for the next book. Uh, this book is called The Resurrectionist by Rath James White. And what's cool about Wrath James White is he was a professional boxer and then turned extreme horror writer. Um, imagine that I'm, I'm not going to give you the synopsis or anything off this book or what they say about it. I'll give you mine, you know. Imagine if you were born with the power to bring people back to life. Like if someone's laying in front of you, chopped up and mutilated and they're totally dead you can just breathe into their mouth and all their wounds heal and they're perfect and they don't remember anything about it. Would you use that power for good or evil? Well, this is extreme horror. So this dude uses it for evil. Um, and it's a good fucking book. What happened in the end actually surprised me. It was a, a, a very interesting twist, I would say. And, uh, I fucking like this book. This guy's great. I've read two other of his books that are, they're, they're like in the class. Like if someone was going to make his other two books, it should probably be uh, an American guinea pig film. That's how brutal it is. Uh, this film is right in that class too. It would make a great guinea pig film. But too bad there's already a film called Come Back to Me, which I have heard is not that great. But... For science, I will check that movie out anyways. And uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll let you guys know here what I thought about it. But definitely read this book. Check this guy out. Okay, here's the coolest thing about Flaver. You and a friend can get a free bottle. With your membership, you get a link that you can share with your friends. When your friend signs up through your link, you both get a free bottle. I will post my link on the Facebook page or hit me up in Messenger and I'll send it to you or email me at 84Ounces2Freedom at gmail.com. Uh, just like the title in the show, it's 84, the number's 84, the letter's OZ, the number 2, the word freedom at gmail.com. <clears throat> Do you guys get that already? I mean, you can see the title, how it's written. Do I, do I need to stop saying that? Uh, just let me know if that's getting annoyed. Uh, but the bottle I chose this time is Pinhook. It's a cut. <laughs> it's a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. Um, there's a racing horse on it with his stats and name. Uh, his name is Bohemian. Well, her name is Bohemian Bourbon. 
The size of this horse is 15.3 hands, um, whatever the math to figure that out is in feet and inches, I, it's impossible, lost upon me, I have no idea. Uh, the color and sex is listed as B, F, so I assume this is a black horse that is female, and the crop is 2020, does that mean when it was born? I don't know, I guess for this whiskey you gotta know something about, um, you know, thoroughbred horses. They're they're like kind of thing. They say is you know this this um, this whiskey is as unique as every horse that's on the label. So it changes every few years, which is kind of cool. <clears throat> there was something else that was said about this whiskey that somehow didn't get into my notes. Um, so I can't tell you what it was, but. Uh, they said it was rebellious or something, this whiskey. Um, but you know what? Let's just see. Uh, smells great, tastes great. I don't know, maybe, maybe you could say there's a little citrus to it there. If I'm, if I'm being accurate, I still think the second vial out of these guys this time was my favorite. Although this is an excellent, I, I would buy this bottle again. But I gotta say the, the George Remus was probably my favorite this time around. Um, so, on a lighter note, and away from guinea pigs and serial killers that kill little girls... Um, there's some beer news. You know, there's breweries out there that do special things on special occasions. Like when Russian River releases, I'm going to be very careful with this, Pliny the Younger in February. You know, I get in trouble over that name all the time. I, I stood in line with my friend Dave for and our wives for six and a half hours for Pliny the Did I say Pliny? Yes. Pliny the Younger one time. And at a beer festival, we went to their booth and asked them, hey, is it Pliny or Pliny? And they said, well, there'd be an E in it if the I was long. It's Pliny the Elder. And we're like, okay, because we want to go to the fucking brewery and say it the right way and not get any shit. And every time we go, they say... We, they say, what do you want? And we're like, I'll have a Pliny the Elder. And they go, oh, a Pliny the Elder? And then we're like, wait, 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 wait. And we, and we hammer the waitress. So is it Pliny or Pliny? Because you just corrected me. And they're like, well, the owner of the company calls it Pliny. And he's the one that makes it. So, yeah, we say Pliny. Okay. Got it. But I fucking forget every time and I still say it wrong. Because there's still Pliny the Elder that you can get readily anytime. Uh, you can actually even buy it in town here, and it's a great, great, great beer. Um, but Pliny the Younger only comes out in February, and it's a limited... I think you can only get, like, two pints of it, but it's fucking strong. It's a triple IPA. A ton of hops go into it, and it's controlled because it's considered one of the best beers ever, and they want everybody to try it. Um, when it's available. 
But I always get in trouble over the fucking name because my brain will forget and I'll say plenty and get in trouble. But regardless of that, this isn't even about Russian River. This is about Samuel Adams Brewery. They do something every two years that I was not aware of, and it's called Utopias. It, this beer is so strong, it's illegal to sell in some states. The last release was in 2019, and it featured a blend of aged beers that are aged in wooden, bur <laughs> wooden bourbon barrels, some for as long as 30 years. Then it's blended with Caravelius Madaria, I'm sure I said that correctly. Ruby Port and Sherry Oloroso. The beer is made in a very unique way and it has a 28% alcohol content, which makes it illegal to sell in 15 states. You can't buy this beer in Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Idaho, Missouri, Mississippi, Montana, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Oregon, South Carolina, Utah, Vermont, or, and West Virginia. So we're all good in California. We can get this beer. It's only, it's bi-annually, would you? No. It's every two years, however the fuck you say that. But there's another problem with this beer, and it's the price. YouTube, you, <laughs> um, you guys, this is four whiskeys in a very quick time, so I'm sorry. Utopias will be available on October 11th for $240 a bottle, and there will only be 1,300 bottles available. So this is uh, not a 12-pack of Coors Light. This is a, an investment. You know, uh, the founder, Jim Koch, will auction off a bottle he personally signed, and all proceeds will go to St. Jude's Children Research Hospital. That's pretty goddamn cool. I can probably guarantee you that I will not be purchasing this beer, but if someone out there does, let me know what it tastes like if you get the balls to fucking open it and drink it. Which, something that expensive, you almost feel bad to open it unless it's a very special occasion. So let me know. You know my fucking email address, 84oucesoffreedom at gmail.com, blah, 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 fuck, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Okay. Um... So as far as high volume beers and stuff, there's a lot of them out there. A lot of them that are stronger than this, even believe it or not. But I have tried Dogfish Head's 120 minute IPA, thanks to my boy, Tone Loke, AKA Tony Ricketts Reha. Tony brought this beer all the way from New Jersey for me when he came to visit his family in California. It ranges from 15 to 20%, you know, Dogfish Head isn't really even sure how strong it is. And from what I've read and stuff, um, as it's fermenting in secondary, they continue to add sugar and fresh yeast to it to just keep pumping that uh, alcohol content. And I think told me, Tony told me that where he lives, you can only buy one 12-ounce beer at a time, and it's over 20 bucks a bottle. Uh, but I think you can get it in four-packs in some states. Uh, thanks, Tone Loke, for bringing me that beer. Uh, but when we did get around to trying it, I did not like it. I shared it with a couple friends, and no one liked it. Um, sorry to give Dogfish Head a bad review. I have liked everything I've ever tried from them, but this 
this beer just tasted like solvents. So, I don't know, do yourself a favor. It's an experience. Um, it's not 250 bucks a bottle. Find out for yourself. Tell me what you think. So in closing, you guys, I want to thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, I'm on Patreon. 100% of the money will go to alcohol. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, so I don't have tiers or bonus material or anything set up. So hopefully I'll get off my ass and figure that out. So I'd like to give you guys some stuff that would make you want to like even look at Patreon. So right now, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. You can check out my YouTube channel where I make homebrew. It's Mr. Cole's Homebrew on the YouTube. You'll find some of my music and my friend music on that channel. Uh, it's so underground, the underground doesn't even know. If you're in Lake County, California, stop by my knife shop. It's where I am right now at 3577 Main Street, Kelseyville, California. <clears throat> and reach out to me on the Gmail. You know what it is. Feel free to give recommendations and let me know what you think of the show. Uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcast, please leave a five-star review or, or fucking one-star review. Kick me in the dick if this shit sucks. Um, what else do I want to say? I guess I don't want to say anything else. Oh yeah, here we go. Uh, I want to thank you guys for listening and in the words of Mark Twain... Too much of anything is bad, but too much of good whiskey is barely enough. Thanks again, guys.